0: Well, let's take a look at the Word uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 John. And uh, we're in a series, as Brian said, called It's All About Love. And we're not just learning about love, but we wanting to live love. And this morning, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 17. You'll find that on page 862 of your church Bibles. 1 John chapter 2 in the New Testament. There's a gospel of John. That's uh, the fourth book in the New Testament, and uh, that was a biography of Jesus written by the apostle John. This is a letter. This is a little booklet the apostle John wrote to Christians. He's writing to a Christian community. 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 through 17. Your church Bible's up on the screen. John writes, "I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning." I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one." Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God Lives forever. This is God's Word. Well, the Mayo Clinic says that about this time every year, until what, Mother's Day perhaps, with shorter days and longer nights and cloudier weather, there's a condition that crops up, and it's called S.A.D. You ever heard of that, S.A.D.? What does that stand for? Yes. (laughs) Seasonal affective disorder, huh? I mean, you, you can call it the winter blues. You can call it cabin fever, but it's a little heavier than that, at least in my life, you know? It just... Lethargy and sluggishness, and why are the blinds closed? <laughs> I was so glad to wake up in the morning and see the blue skies because I don't know. I just began to feel under it a little bit this week, and you know, yesterday it was just this the cloudy weather kind. Of, the clouds begin to feel like the boulder, you know, and and it just kind of like oh, and 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 guys. Like to maybe tough it out, right? Because we're guys, but it can really be—it can really be a struggle. You can really begin to feel in the funk, you know, and we're, and winter hasn't even started yet. Oh man, what to do? Well, sometimes medication helps. Okay, and and sometimes. Uh, uh, doctors prescribe what they call light therapy. You ever heard of that? Light therapy. And, and you get this light that mimics natural sunlight, which I'm told creates this biochemical thing. That's how preachers put it. Thing, and, and then it kind of lifts your mood and kind of relieves the symptoms. And uh, I like this next cartoon because this, this is me, you know, uh, Next, the next cartoon. There we go. It's for my depression. Go get your own. You know? Anyway. How's that for sharing, huh? But sad, seasonal affective disorder, it could really kind of get you down. Well, this morning I want to talk about um, different kind of sad uh, we'll call it spiritual affective disorder. A spiritual, and, and, it, and it sounds something like this. It goes something like this. A person comes to Christ. A person realizes that, you know, they look at this world and they look at the claims of Jesus and they say, you know, Jesus best explains what's going on in this world. And so you come to Christ and then you realize that that. Jesus, I mean, he is the son of God, he's the Messiah, he's a king, a king has a kingdom, a king has a domain, and a king also has expectations of his subjects, and expectations like he said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect, and I'm not joking, Jesus says, or uh, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must take up his deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And you begin to think, okay, he's a king. He's serious. How can I do that? How can I do that? And you know, the clouds start rolling in after a while. You know, it's it's no longer July or August, or it's no longer green. It's gray. It's November. We haven't even, the winter hasn't even started. How can I do that? How is that possible? And, and that's why John wrote the verses that we read just a little while ago. The, John wrote these verses to help us deal with the effects of sad. Spiritual because because this kind of sad doesn't result in uh, fatigue or lethargy. You know what it results in? It results in uncertainty. It results in doubt. We begin to wonder, you know, how can I get through this? The clouds are rolling in. I just I just don't think I'm gonna be able to. And 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 we begin to become uncertain and we begin we begin to lose our sense of assurance and we begin to lose our confidence and and, and, and living the Christian life n- no longer is the joy that John writes about. No. It just becomes a gray, sad situation. What to do? What to do? And the Apostle John answers this question in the same way a little bit that we talked about in terms of how medicine sometimes answers this question. The Apostle John says, light You need light. That's what you need. You need to live in the light. You are in the light. You need to stay in the light. You need to stay in the light of Christian community. And you need to stay in the light of Christ himself. Stay in the light. That's the message for today. That's the truth. That's the big idea. If you forget everything else, don't forget this. Stay in the light. Stay in the light of Christian community and stay in the light. Of Christ Himself. Let's talk about these two features here this morning. First, being stay in the light of Christian community. Do you notice in verses twelve through fourteen that when when John writes, he says he says, "I write to you, dear children. You know, I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young." And then he repeats himself. You see that there? I, I write to you, dear. What was he just becoming forgetful? No. No, he's being poetic, right? He's kind of being artistic here. He's using a little style. The Apostle John. I write, he's talking, and he's not talking about physical age here. He's talking about spiritual stages. He's talking about the spiritual stage of childhood. The spiritual stage of adulthood. The spiritual stage of parenthood. And and that's true when we think about it in our congregation, isn't it? We have people are in different stages. There are. Uh, those of us who are in the, the childhood stage. I mean, we've just come to Christ. Some just in the past month. Some just in, the, in this past year. And, and in, in, in terms of your stage, your development, we, you're young in Christ. And then there are those of us who, are, that we're adults. I mean, we're growing. We're kind of in the middle of it. And, we're, and then there are those of us who've we've been Christians for a long time. There's the, the parenthood or the, the, the fatherhood stage. You see, that's what John is talking about. But you see, it's a community. It's a family. And what John wants us to be reminded of is that, you know, if you are feeling the funk of spiritual sadness, maybe you have neglected spiritual community. Maybe you're off in the cave of your own isolation, and you're trying to do the Christian life by yourself. And maybe that's why you're Sensing uncertainty. Maybe that's why you're sensing doubt. Maybe that's why you don't have that sense of assurance. I'm not talking about checking off a church attendance roster. I'm talking about being in community with other brothers and sisters and children and fathers. I'm talking about being involved in a multi-generational community of believers where you can sharpen one, one another and be sharpened by one another. That's what I'm talking about. And one of the reasons why the apostle John wrote was that he was battling heresy which said, you don't need relationships with other believers. You just need knowledge. You just need, you just need a, a, a Bible study notebook that's chock full of information. And once you get that knowledge, and once you get that information, then that's how you can... And, and, and knowledge, Gnosticism, focusing so much on knowledge and theory that you, you, there's, there's none of this... Growth stuff. And I'm telling you, John is saying, no way. Paul put it this way he said, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You need to be in the light of Christian community. And uh, I'm thinking, what does that look like? I'm thinking of the conversation I had this week with someone from our church family who said that they first started coming to Windsor Road because another family gave them a, a welcome box. They just moved into the area. And they gave them another welcome box. And, and providentially, they had so many of the same they didn't know, this family did not know when they gave the welcome box that this other family that had a lot of the same life backgrounds. It's just a God thing. When we act in obedience, I mean, God. and so the family started coming and they came to the starting point class. They, were, they accepted Christ. They, they displayed that decision in baptism. They've gotten involved in the church family. They've gotten involved in a small group. They've started a ministry. And now they're affecting lives. And, and, the, the, the husband's going to be serving our country in Afghanistan soon. But instead of the family leaving, see, and going elsewhere, the family's going to stay here while the husband's serving over there. Why? And he said, because of the support and the community. It's just being in the light. And I thought, thank God. You know. And, and, and I was the recipient of so much gratitude on behalf of this brother. And I I said, Lord, I don't feel like I've done anything other than just preside over this and God be praised. That's what I'm talking about, okay? Spiritual growth. Listen to me. <laughs> that, not, that, that type of growth has not always been the model in Christianity. Uh, early on in Christianity, the model used to be that if you want to grow in Christ, you need to abandon culture and go out kind of in the desert wilderness. That's why there was this phase in church history called the Desert Fathers. That the way to, you know, John says don't love the world or anything in the world. Well, how, how, can, how can we express a lack of love for the world? How can we get away from the world? Well, you've got to just get away. And so the Desert Fathers, they, they would just abandon culture, abdicate culture. And, and one individual came to Christ. His name was Pachomius, it wasn't Fred or John, it was just Pachomius, okay? Here's his picture in the yearbook, all right? Throw it up there, Deb. Pachomius, he lived around 292 to 348 AD, all right? And he had been a soldier in Egypt, and he came to Christ, and he was told that he was supposed to love people and grow the fruit of the Spirit in his life, and he went out into the desert by himself, and he, I mean, he was just following his mentor, and then he started asking questions, like, "How can you learn to love if no one else is around?" How's that work? How can you learn humility living alone? How can you learn kindness or gentleness or goodness in isolation? How can you learn patience unless someone puts yours to the test? How's that work? And Mr. Pacomius came to the conclusion that if you want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in your life, you need people. You need ordinary people. You need honorary people. Pacomius said, to save souls, you must bring them together. You gotta live in the light of Christian community. But here's where it gets interesting, Okay? <laughs> Philip Yancey wrote, spiritual muscle isn't even learned from the friends we have chosen. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if it were? God's kind of love is best learned where we can't be selective about our associates. Hmm. Now think about that for a minute. Two of the institutions created by God, the church and the family, they are not joined by invitation only, are they? You know, I don't have any. I, I couldn't choose my parents or my brothers or my sisters. You can't choose who, are, but but I'm sure expected to love them, right? And neither can we choose who will or will not be in the family of God. Any who confess Jesus as Lord must be welcomed. And we learn Christ-like love, we learn agape love most effectively in our involuntary associations. Away from the temptation of choosing to love only the attractive. See. And and um it's an interesting quote by a pastor who pastors in the nation of India right now. Listen to what he says. Listen to this. This has shocked me. It shocked me at first, but then I thought, oh, yeah, he's right. Listen, most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. That's what shocked me. But then he said this, but only the Christians strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. That's the real miracle. Yancey writes, diversity complicates rather than simplifies life. And perhaps for this reason, we tend to surround ourselves with people of similar age, economic class, and opinion. The church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together. Yancey says, in my church, I often sit sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up. To a puffing oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who grunts loudly and contentedly throughout the sermon, where else can we find that mixture? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, we're not going to find it in the world. We're not going to find it in the world, for everything in the world, the, the, the cravings of sinful man, and I like how the New American Standard Bible puts it, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life come not from the Father but from the world. The values of the world have to do with being self-focused, self-accomplishment. Here's what I've done on my own. I don't need you. That's, that's not light, church family. That's darkness. That's darkness. So we have, we have, we're all here. The 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 new in Christ, the immature in Christ, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I just mean that as a, as an age stage. We have the immature in Christ, the maturing in Christ, and the mature in Christ. And and so please, you know, if you feel like you're younger in Christ, sometimes yeah, the younger in Christ can 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 feel intimidated. And I I don't know where the Bible is. I don't know where Lamentations is. I can't even find First John. Wait a minute, there's First John. What about the Gospel of John? I don't understand all of that. It's okay. Ask the questions. That's all right. If you, if you have a hard time finding where the books are in the Bible, you know, go, to the, go to a Christian bookstore and find those little cheat tabs and stick them on your Bible. You know, that's, that's okay. That's okay. If you're older in Christ, then remember that, that you're older in Christ. If you're in, in the stage of spiritual parenthood, you know, and, and, and you find yourself, maybe you are new here to Windsor Road, and you are in the stage of spiritual parenthood, Okay, we're glad you're here. We, want, we need you to be here. And we need you to understand that to be in the stage of spiritual parenthood means by definition that you don't come into a church setting and you say, okay, what's in it for me? Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And when you think that way, then you will be in the light. Now, are you in the light? Are you? Are you? Are you living in the light of community? Are you surrounding yourselves with those who are in separate spiritual seasons? New in Christ, growing in Christ, mature in Christ? Stay in the light of Christian community. And that, that is how you can be confident in Christ. But, but, but John makes it very clear. It's not just, you know, any old group won't do. Okay, we're not just talking about any old community. We're talking to be strong in a community, is to be strong in a community that is in Christ, that is in Christ. And so we get to the second part of this stay in the light sermon. Stay in the light of Christian community and stay in the light of a Christian community who is in the light of Christ. In the light of Christ. Notice what John says in verse 12. I write to you, dear children, what? Because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Let's say that together, verse 12, here we go. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. On account of his name, see. John says to those who are sad, John says to those who don't feel like that they are you know, following the word enough or loving enough or trusting enough, John says, look, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Didn't we just sing that? In Christ alone. In Christ alone. And, and church, it is critical that we get this. And if we don't get, if we don't get this, then we're going to find ourselves struggling. Especially when the clouds of uncertainty begin to envelop us. And, and here it is. And, and this is why some of you are so uncertain. Uncertain you have assumed that your relationship with God is contingent on the quality of your repentance. All right? How do I know I'm a believer? Well, I, because I've worked my heart up to a really repentant state, and I really feel sorry, that's how. But that's not what John says. John says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of, that is drawn from the account of Christ. He didn't say that your sins are forgiven because you repented. Must I repent? Well, yes, yes, yes. But repentance does not merit salvation. It doesn't. Baptism doesn't merit salvation. Neither does praying a prayer. That, that doesn't merit salvation. Jesus alone merits salvation. Repentance and baptism. These are inward and outward expressions of that which declares boldly only Jesus. And some of us are sad because we have been leaning on the quality of our repentance. We are looking to a level of sorrow for our assurance. But I assure you that once you go down that route, then you're going to find yourself asking, well, have I repented enough? Have I been sorry enough? Well, Is repentance ever 100% pure? You know, who repents perfectly? Huh? No one. John says that our forgiveness, our standing. Well, Well, then how much is it any? That's how much is enough, any. You know, think the thief on the cross. Well, that wasn't very much. No, but it was enough. See, it was enough. Think mustard seed faith. Well, how much? Not much, but it was enough, you see. And John says that our forgiveness, our standing, is because we draw from Christ. We draw from Christ. And we draw from Christ who is, John says, our advocate. You see that? Verses two. We have one who speaks to the Father on our defense, Jesus, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I, I'm going to give you this next quote because I believe it, all right? I struggled with it this week, but I believe it, and it needs to be said. It's a quote from a pastor, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who pastored in England after World War II. Listen to what he said. He said, if you are a believer who is uncertain about the forgiveness of your sins, that is, if you're a believer, if you're a a believer who is uncertain about the forgiveness of your sins, here it is, that in itself is sin. Oh, now you've really made me feel guilty. (laughs) Well, think about this for a minute, though. Think, think. He says, it is no mark of saintliness to be uncertain that your sins are forgiven. It is. It is to deny and doubt the word of God. And when you think and act uncertainly, it's because you're relying on yourself. You're not clear about the Bible. You're not clear about Jesus. You're not clear about the cross, the resurrection, or the completed work of Christ done for you by him. You're not drawing on his account. That's his point there. And the only reason why we can, we can shout his fame is because we're all, we are all dependent on his bailout, which has no end. Which has no end. And that confidence, that confidence is not just for spiritual childhood, is it? You see, see, John says to the young men, I, because you have overcome the evil one, you are strong. Why are you strong? You're strong because the word of God lives in you. You are strong because you have overcome the evil one. Why have I overcome the evil one? Because I have an advocate with the Father, that's why. And because when I battle Satan, it's okay because he's a defeated foe. And then I get to the stage of spiritual parenthood where I, you know, you're, you're, you're as old as Grandpa John. And he's just become so dependent on Jesus that he's ready to see him. He's ready to see him. And what's, what's a joy is that we realize that, you know, you never outgrow your need for the gospel. You, ne- you never outgrow your need for Jesus. And when you get to John's stage, one of the signs of a tenured spiritual parent is, is not arrogance but humility. <laughs> Where you say with the Apostle Paul, I mean, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But if it weren't for Jesus, the older you grow in Christ, the more you become aware of your need for Christ. And that's why once you realize that Jesus is your advocate, there is nothing in this world that can satisfy you. Nothing. John says the world and its desires, literally the world and its lusts, pass away but the man who does the will of God lives forever. When you've got Jesus as your advocate, when you know your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, when you know that you're strong and you've overcome the evil one because God's word, God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus is living in you and you've had that long obedience in the same direction to the point of spiritual parenthood, then what can this world possibly offer you? What? Nothing. Nothing. And so and so here we are, church family. We're all here together. Look around, okay? Look around you because you, you see the young in Christ, you see the, the growing in Christ, you see the mature in Christ, and here's the good news. Look around you because you're gonna be like, you're gonna be like the person sitting by you one of these days if they're older in Christ. We, we want that to happen, you know? And... Uh, And I want to be like Fred Smith when I'm in my 90s. I want to be preaching the gospel. I see him drive up to work here, or drive, drive up to the church here, and, and I see him shuffle over to Dalton's class, and I'm thinking, God, if, you know what? If you let me live another 47 years, I want to be doing that. Old man Boltinghouse preaching his heart out. And that's what it means to live in the light. And there's nothing, once you get that, once you taste that, once you enjoy that, there's nothing this world has to offer for you. And and, and then when you're there, then you realize that the best is yet to come. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. Church family, stay in the light. Stay in the light of Christian community. And stay in the light of Christ himself. Let's have communion.